How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to The Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Eric Daimler. He is the chair, CEO, and co-founder of Connexus AI. He also sits on numerous boards. He's a leading expert in the field of robotics and AI. And you're going to love this intro here. It's also an incredible opportunity uh, to augment what we do. Talks about how, you know, not a big believer in the Hollywood narrative that robots will defeat or dehumanize us in truth. And that robotics and AI can unlock an ability for individuals, companies to unleash their potential in ways never fully imagined. And Eric is firm to believe that he sees no Terminator apocalypse, uh, but he does see urgency in understanding AI's possibilities. Eric, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man. <laughs> That's a fun intro, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you. It's good to be here. No problem. No problem. I mean, it was it was uh, supplied by your team. So, uh, you know, and I just added a little sauce to it, but I love it, man. It's very timely with everything that's going on right now. Um, and so I'm excited to get in this to you. So before we get into your background and about use the company, what you're working on, I want to real quick get into uh, what I call a revenue rundown. So let's just get at where you're at in terms of the stage of the journey with your company. And then we'll get right into your more of your background, your company, and, and just some of the cool things you're doing with AI. So as we go through, like, where are you guys at in terms of your ARR? Yeah, we will in Connexus.com, we'll probably end uh, calendar 23, uh, low eight figures uh, in revenue, top line revenue. Okay, excellent, excellent. And so when we're talking like your team, how big is your team? And we'll probably end calendar year uh, 23 with probably 40, 50 uh, employees. Okay, and are you bootstrapped or funded? We uh, were bootstrapped uh, uh, in various ways, and then we have taken some amount of outside capital. We'll probably be doing another one of those sometime in calendar 23. Okay, excellent. How, what, what number did you bootstrap to? I'm just curious. I put in about a half a million of my own money uh, before uh, it then seemed uh, appropriate to be taking in uh, outside money. We, we funded uh, the uh, uh, the MVP, the explorations about whether we could turn this into a commercial enterprise, uh, and then attracted funding to hire staff that would turn this into uh, a repeatable and scalable business. It, get, it, it changed from a customized product to a configurable product and that required outside capital at scale. Okay, definitely makes sense. And then, you know, walk us through your solution in you know, two to three sentences what it is, who it serves, and what are the outcomes it creates? Yeah, what Connexus.com does is it integrates data models. Uh, it allows for collaboration between teams. You know, how this manifests itself is that data scientists who have many data products requiring source data to maintain its integrity, use Connexus.com to ensure that integrity during application upgrades, during cloud migrations. The, the tension here is usually for the larger businesses. Uh, think that the, the global 5,000 largest companies as a proxy for the scale and complexity uh, where this becomes an issue. Uh, but it's any place where 
the, the sophistication of the IT infrastructure is beyond a human's ability to reason and manually code up uh, the, the connections between databases, applications, uh, and data science products. So Connexus makes sure that this, this operates more quickly in its migrations, more quickly in these application upgrades, uh, and more quickly in the production of data products uh, by a data science team. Okay. That sounds insanely useful, right? Like, because I, I, I mean, you, I've, I worked with numerous enterprise companies or Fortune 5000, and, and sometimes there's a rat's nest of complexity just for simple things. So I imagine once you get behind the curtain with all the data and systems and integrating and how, how it would, there would be a need for what you're talking about. So what would you say is like, and I know you, you, you bucketed it by company size, but what would you say is like the floor of complexity where it would make sense for someone to work with you guys? You're generally, it's a company that has three, maybe five databases. Uh, and the reason is this, the, the, the issue of connecting databases, application upgrades and migrations and so forth, is uh, uh, generally follows an exponential cost curve. Uh, we have a linear or sublinear cost curve. And so you could just do the arithmetic on that, you know, two times two, three times three, four times four. Uh, uh, you know, that, it's about at that number uh, uh, where it starts to really pay off to, to do the work up front that you would have had to do anyway uh, by using uh, our AI to discover uh, all of the connections and infer uh, the totality of the of, of the infrastructure that's required to maintain your data infrastructure. Okay, so let's talk about AI because you you mentioned it right there, and you said your AI. So you know, like if you had to summarize it and speak to me, like, and, and I'm not I'm not talking to you like your Chat GPT. Eric is not Chat GPT, but I'm saying you know, talk to me like I'm a 12 year old and explain to me you know how you bucket AI when you're you're looking at an organization, and then what kind of AI. Connexus is in that that kind of uh, stack, if you will, uh, and, sure. and let's take it from there. Sure. Well, you know the, the way I defined it for uh, uh, members of Congress when I when I worked in Washington uh, is it, still applicable, uh, and we can modify it slightly for the current world of large language models. And and it goes it goes something like this: that uh, AI or robotics, just learning algorithms, can be thought of as a system. This is not a strict definition, but it's kind of a useful definition. It's uh, something that senses, acts, and then uh, it learns from the experience. So senses, learns, acts, uh, and, and learns from the experience. It's the learns from experience that distinguishes this from an ordinary thermostat of the 1970s. You know, it's too hot, I'm going to air condition. It's too cold, I'm going to heat. Uh, so we can think of this sensing being uh, like an, auto an autonomous car that now has a, a LIDAR on top of the car, or a radar, or some sort of sensing technology around the car, uh, it, it brings in data. Uh, we can go into detail on that, but it, it, it brings in a lot of data uh, into a car. Then you know, it goes through a network and, and what have you into the, the central brain to think about it. Uh, you know, as the car is going down the, the, the road, it, it will sense, is that a shadow or is it a person? Uh, is it a crosswalk or is it just a, a part of the street? And then it thinks about that. Uh, what do I do? Does the different trade-offs? And then it acts. The sense plans acts. And then in the acting, you would have the decision of, well, do I do nothing or do I slow down 
Do I require a driver to intervene? How do I act as, a, as, the, as me, the car, comes up on this thing that I sense? And then learns from the experience. So learning from the experience says, hey, last time I was down this street, this uh, I, I learned that this uh, was a crosswalk, but not a person as I crossed over and got more information. It'll learn more and more about these shadows and the light. It's not going to suddenly learn uh, Spanish. Right? Your car is just going to learn more and more about that intersection. So sense, plan, act, and learn from the experience. That's how I define AI. It's a, it's a helpful definition for many, many people. The sensing in a large language model, of course, is just taking the totality of the corpus of the English language and as input and then learning in a slightly different way. But it's still, a, it's still a useful definition. You know, the pedantic definition is to say that uh, large language models and deep learning are a subset of machine learning, which itself is a subset of AI, which means there are non-machine learning AIs that are not stochastic, such as uh, symbolic AI. So that's actually like the literal definitions, but it's not a terribly useful, accessible way for uh, a non-AI researcher uh, to be thinking of it in their daily lives. Okay. I love that. I love that analogy uh, with the self-driving car. So like if you were to set this up in a Fortune 1000 company or even even a mid-market company, right? And you had those 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 four kind of buckets you described it in, you know, how would you orchestrate that in terms of systems to enable an organization with AI? Well, what Connexus does, I can, I can start there, yeah. what my firm does, Connexus.com, is we will, in the simplest terms, execute something like this. You know, you, you call up a credit card company, uh, they, they, they'll ask you to enter your account number, uh, and then you can enter it in. And then every time I've ever done it, every time I've ever done it, I've done this a fair amount of times, I'm then transferred to a person and they'll ask me for my number again. And they'll say, almost every time I can recall, oh, it's for security purposes. Give me your number again. And I'm thinking, you're, I'm not sure you're a lovely person, but you know you're not really telling me the truth. You may not know you're not telling me oh, the yeah. truth, but you're not telling me the truth. So annoying. It's not because of security. It's because your systems suck. They don't talk to each other. They don't, databases don't talk to each other. Can, can, I, stop, can I stop you there? So real life example of what you're talking about and feel free to use this like uh, with Comcast cable, right? I had that situation happen, but like probably three or four times in one experience because they kept transferring me and then I had to start over every single time and re-explain what I was doing. I think it even happened. And these might be great prospects for you too. Another time yeah. I think it happened oh. with StubHub, like where I got transferred multiple times and they're just like, I, yeah, so... <laughs> Why are you calling? Was I literally had this problem at an airport where this airline, I'm not kidding you, had had me give them a paper ticket that, that I then gave to a person behind a counter with a computer that then printed me out another version of paper <laughs> that had me go walk, walk, physically walk to another part of the airport to hand in that piece of paper to another person with a computer to then print out another piece of paper. And I, I, this was a big airline. Uh, that had systems that just didn't talk to each other. You could say, well, those were the outsourced companies. They weren't really part of the airline. But as a customer experience, it was all the same thing. And we, I literally was shuttling paper in 2023. <laughs> it's, it's, it is a universal problem that this is the type of AI that Connexus uh, works on. It's a far, far less sexy, less telegenic, less, less Hollywood-esque uh, type of AI than uh, the large, sexy large language models that I'm a little envious of, 
but it's it's super useful for everyday biz, uh, business and the operation of complex systems, especially when lives are at stake. So, but, but it's incredibly useful, right? Because like I was infuriated when I had to go through that process, especially because it was like, it was a service issue or, or something like that. And it just kept, they kept asking the same questions over and over again. And I'm like, um, so is, is your solution, is it just the connection of the data or does it also provide insights through the connections of that data? So what we connect are rules. We'll connect models. Okay. You know, connecting data, and I'd say even data in general, not terribly interesting. So you know, you can look at Eric's height, not interesting. Eric's age, not interesting. You might even say like Eric's income or net worth, like not interesting. Now, how Eric's behavior is influenced by his height or his location or uh, uh, or his age, whatever. You know, my, my, my you know, speaking about me, you know, my behavior, that's interesting. You know, people can sell me stuff or a government can uh, you know, watch out for my safety for me or me or others. You know, that's interesting. But so that's the difference with models. You know, it's, it's well understood that you know, data is exploring. Data's, d- data as a totality is, is exploding. What's less well appreciated, I think, is that data sources are also exploding. The result of which is that the intersection of data and data sources has a combinatorial explosion that is really difficult to to fathom for for us ordinary humans. This is where knowledge resides. And this is why we have this impression of the world moving more quickly. It's this connection between data. How does data relate to itself? That's what's hard about integrating the databases that we're talking about for some of these large organizations. It's not just integrating uh, you know, my height with my age across many different databases. It's how is my behavior affected in this relationship as opposed to this other relationship? Or, or more to the point, we're working with an airplane manufacturer and this airplane manufacturer says, well, I know how long the plane is. I know how wide the plane is. Uh, but the model is how do these relate to the variable called vibration? That's a model that uh, uh, has some characteristics to it. When you're then connecting the length, the fuselage, to the width, the wing, you want to make sure that that variable of vibration from the two systems that are now being joined is is guaranteed uh, uh, to to have integrity. And that variable of of vibration needs to be assured that it's either (laughs) canceling each other out or additive. You need to know these things. That's the sophistication inherent in a model that is is universal across all complex organizations. Okay. That's where Connexus uh, uh, resides. And what's changed about the world in 2023, what's different today is that not so long ago, and I didn't say not so long ago, maybe like 10, 20 years ago, but like when the lifetime of the, the listeners to this is we, we humans could have reasoned about many of these things, but then now the scale of these the systems is such that we cannot reason about them. They're just too, it's too much. Yeah. But an AI can, an AI can reason about a trillion connections between different data models. An AI can look at a, a thousand databases and find all the commonalities to verify that, that there's zero chance of failure. That's what an AI can do. That's a type of generative AI that's what Connexus does. That's what we provide. That's 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 the future of infrastructure. Okay. And then what was it built on? 
you know, like what, what language did you, did you build your solution on? And, um, cause you've been doing this for a while, right? So what was it built on and where do you see that heading with, with chat GPT? Yeah. So we are taking advantage of a discovery in mathematics. So this is actually deeper than computer science. So, so my, me and one of my founders, our PhD is in computer science. So we have a third co-founder who's actually a math math faculty at MIT. And I'd like to think I'm pretty good at math. Yeah, he's better than me. <laughs> he's, he's written a couple of books Crushes on this you. stuff. Crushes Yeah, yeah. He, he does. He, he's amazing. Uh, 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 David Spivak is his name. He's written a couple of books on, on this domain called category theory. It's, it's the most abstract of abstract mathematics. Uh, that's the basis upon which our software is developed. Our algorithms are then commercialized and our products uh, are then sold. Uh, category theory, I'll say broadly, uh, is not unique to Conexus. It has applications in quantum mechanics, uh, specifically in quantum compilers, uh, the absence of which would then require us to reason with uh, irrational numbers, which are kind of no fun or, you know, fun for a nerd, but kind of like no fun to practice to reason about. So category theory or its related math type theory uh, is required in, in quantum mechanics. It's also used in smart contracts. So companies like Hedera Hashgraph are using it to formalize uh, smart contracts and later the whole, the whole darn smart contract stack. Uh, to make them uh, have guaranteed integrity. So we're just the leaders. We are, we are lucky, Connexus.com, uh, to be the leaders in uh, the expression of category theory for the integrity of the integration of databases. So, so give me an example, because that was uh, highly theoretic, right? And you just, uh, you just uh, eclipsed. I, I now feel like you next to your, your MIT co-founder, right? Like in, in terms of the way you just explained the... Uh, the details of it. So, you know, break it down super simple in terms of category theory, like what it means and where you see it, like a real life example, if you can, right? Sure. Um, oh, then, yeah, sure. Like how to apply it. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's an abstract way of talking about category theory. And, 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 and if I, if I'm making you feel the same way I feel around my, my, my co-founder, uh, Spivak, then that's a compliment because he makes it, he makes people feel good around him. Uh, uh, he's, he's, he's really great. And he's a great explainer of, of math. And I'll, I'll hope to be, uh, doing anywhere close to as good a job uh, as as he does, you know. You know, category theory is a meta math, it, and it's it's really intuitive, perhaps even more intuitive than the math with which we're familiar. Uh, I'm going to call them kind of twentieth century math, trig, geometry, even calculus. Uh, you know, if, if we talk about putting squares together and we talk into a cube, you know, then we're going to start talking about a cube. Uh, if we're going to start talking about uh, a globe. Uh, we may make different two-dimensional models of a globe, but that's not a globe. Uh, you know, category theory is the math that can that can contextualize these objects and keep them as uh, uh, integrous uh, objects, independent of whatever happens to them and wherever wherever they go in in the universe. It's the math of equivalence, which also makes sense for us intuitively. You know, you and I have a relationship right now as we're speaking uh, on this podcast. And we might have a very different relationship if you and I were in a triathlon together. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you could you could be friendly, but like you know, then you're competitors or something. You know, it's a different context. That the math uh, affords the richness available in these context shifts. Uh, the the ordinary way of thinking about it is is uh, if I'm cooking and and I want to substitute uh, apple pie uh, uh, for for peach pie. 
that be based on the price or availability or freshness. Like it's contextual. They're they're equivalent. They're not equal in a way that trig or calculus or, or geometry would require gears to be intersecting in a perfect way. It's equivalence. Uh, that's the way we think of a category theory. How we put this into practice is uh, an interesting example. We work with this power company. Uh, this, this power company has uh, uh, these different uh, windmills. You know, they're, they're Dutch, right? <laughs> they, have, they have these windmills. This is a real example. Uh, uh, and, and each one of these windmills, you know, we might care to say, uh, oh, heck, I'd prefer my energy to be green. But uh, to some extent, we, we just want the proverbial cold beer and hot shower. So, right. you know, you guys deliver the energy and worry about the windmills and we'll just take the hot shower and cold beer. These windmills each have a database and it's worse. They, they each have several databases. They have one database that defines the topology for the deployment of the windmill. They have another database that defines the operation of the windmill and yet another database that defines the maintenance of the windmill. And this is databases as you might experience in Excel, but just, you know, multiplied by by some large number to make them bigger. Well, you you expand that to the five large windmill manufacturers in, in the world, and maybe the more that uh, will emerge. And this becomes to become an operational challenge. You have 15 different databases. And it's not, as we talked about earlier, a linear cost curve for integrating those. It's exponential. They currently solve this by having people manually interact with these databases. And that's that's just unpleasant for everybody. It's slow, uh, it's expensive, and it has a particular failure mode where they use more energy and waste more energy uh, than they otherwise would like. What the Connexus AI does is it automatically discovers and prove the, the, the provably minimal uh, 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 and optimal discovery of the connections between all of these databases so that you can uh, operate with uh, uh, more efficiency, you can operate faster uh, and, and without a chance of error. Okay, love the window example. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. So let's talk a little bit more on the uh, the revenue side now. So like, how are you, I guess, like, what's your go-to-market? Like, what are you leveraging as a go-to-market strategy? And how are you growing the company right now? Yeah, it's a combination of vehicles. It, we got started, oddly uh, enough, from inbound. Uh, you know, however grateful I am for uh, whatever reputation I've been, to, been able to uh, uh, build, that, that generates relationships uh, that that uh, you'll find people attracted to whatever technology I'm working on. Uh, we, we have found that you know customers have come to us. Uh, you know, one of our customers was uh, Uber uh, in their early days. who has some very smart people and you know an effectively infinite balance sheet to fund an optimal IT infrastructure. Uh, and yet and yet they grew up paying attention to their business uh, and their business uh, generated, uh, uh, users by city or by jurisdiction. Uh, so they grew up with a database by city 
this is not the ideal way you develop an IT infrastructure, but that's that's what happened. Uh, they ended up having 200,000 databases. Come on. Uh, which is just crazy. They wow. tried then connecting these manually just for ordinary business intelligence questions, you know, supply demand, right. uh, let alone a privacy lattice required by legislation, such as the, the respecting of privacy of license plates versus driver's licenses, depending on a, a jurisdictional boundary. Uh, they looked about commercial solutions globally. They then went next door to Stanford and said, hey, uh, how do we solve this? Because we can't with our traditional solutions. And, and I don't know who they talked to at Stanford, but whoever they talked to at Stanford said, hey, you can't solve this with your current solutions. Uh, you need to look deeper. You need to look into category theory. Uh, well, then who are the leaders in category theory? You know, they happen to look 40 miles north of them and and, and they found Connexus. So we worked with them over a period of months back in our, in our custom days uh, to solve that problem of integrating their 200,000 databases into one view for both their business intelligence questions and their privacy lattice uh, questions so that you know, to have them tell it, uh, you know, they, saw, they save over 10 million a year just in the effectiveness with which they're able to now uh, operate their, their business intelligence questions. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Uh, so, what, so is it all inbound then or just some inbound? You mentioned inbound and then you, you gave a great example, but like, is it mostly inbound? You have to go outbound? What's, what's your approach? <laughs> It, it has historically been inbound. Uh, we really have more demand than we can uh, handle. So the outbound efforts have been gentle. Uh, uh, they've been gentle either through uh, relationships that we have had uh, with some experimentation uh, into having product-led growth. We expect to, to meet our numbers. We'll probably have a product-led, a, a more robust, uh, fulfilling uh, product-led offering uh, by the end of the next calendar year. Okay. And are you and amping up the team then as well to so that you could satisfy the demand or what's kind of your approach to that? Yeah, it's interesting. We are currently exploring that and finding that we really may not need a terribly large team because this is uh, automated. Uh, we actually may need a smaller team as we've gotten out of the uh, the, the custom and even the configuration business and and it becomes. Uh, more of an automated solution. This, uh, like all digital technologies, you know, scales uh, quite well. Uh, it scales infinitely well when it works. Uh, so we we may never need uh, a terrible, terribly large team, but we will see. Uh, uh, we like talking to customers. We like engaging with our customers' problems. Uh, so uh, we, you know, we'll see where that uh, where that takes us. Well, do you have like a, a sense of urgency or a vision on on how big you could take this? Because data is exploding, obviously. Um, and it sounds like if you, it sounds like you're kind of, I don't want to say gradually handling it, but methodically kind of growing. Um, do you have any ambitions to rapidly grow the company at all? Or is it just kind of like, Hey, let's, let's move along and, and then see what happens from there. Yeah. I, I, uh, we are working to methodical is a good word, but we are, uh, uh, actually controlling the, the rate of growth this could be at because this, this really, uh, uh feels explosive. Uh, uh, the the demand we have, like I say, is a little more than we can handle because we don't want to be configuring so much. We want to be automating as much as possible uh, as the scaled. We don't want to be backed into uh, having uh, the delivery of any type of services or supporting uh, uh, any sort of manual efforts that we've done in the past. So uh, we are working to deliver to our customers a, a common 
uh, automated product. But you're you're completely right. The size and scale of this problem is it's it's virtually unfathomable. Uh, you know, we 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 occasionally try to define what this space looks like into the the, the quintessential TAM and 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 the, what's our particular addressable today, and it's it just gets too big to bother to, talking about. Uh, uh, it, we we will generally say they're sophisticated businesses or large businesses that will deal in uh, life critical uh, issues. So. Uh, uh, you know, companies like an Airbus, probably more than an Apple, uh, you know, companies uh, like a Dassault uh, instead of a Meta, uh, you know, companies like uh, like a Comcast, uh, perhaps uh, before a Google. Uh, where where we play with some of the hyperscalers is probably with their customers. We've done that hmm. uh, is is to facilitate the onboarding. Uh, and the alacrity with which cloud upgrades can occur—that uh, that's that's encouraged by the hyperscalers, but not necessarily consumed by the hyperscalers themselves. Okay. And and then, what would you say is your single biggest challenge growing the business right now? Then, if you're if you're doing it in a controlled manner. Yeah, you're communicating it in in a way that's uh, easy for all of the different stakeholders uh, to understand. Our, our competition is uh, manual. <laughs> you know, what we compete against, and this is true, I think, for a lot of artificial intelligence companies, you know, what we are replacing is uh, work that, uh, we'll say generally, overeducated humans are doing. You know, people don't want to automate good jobs. They want to automate the, the junk that they do. And so we, we have just found this enormously large part of the IT space uh, that is currently served by generally large consultancies uh, that we automate. We automate away, um, we automate, automate away work. I, I don't want to say that we automate away jobs because I, I think the, the many, many uh, talented individuals at some of these large consultancies uh, can be, be better used with some of their fancy educations elsewhere. Uh, but we, uh, we automate a lot of that uh, uh, work away. So would you say resistance then from the mid-level end users, you know, because it could potentially displace their jobs or because um, I've seen that before in different, especially enterprise motions, right? Like you have people that it's the whole who moved my cheese kind of methodology is like, well, if, if we do that, then they might not need me as much. I, we shouldn't do that, that solution. Do you, do you get some of that? Is that kind of what I hear you saying? Or is it more like the third party consultancies only? Is what you're talking about? Yeah, it's mostly the third-party consultancies. No, there is a there is a group that we have discovered within governments that have built up their careers maintaining legacy infrastructure uh, that will resist modernizations. We've definitely we have found that in North America, and we have found that in Europe that there is a con, there is a large contingent. Uh, uh, this is not literally true. We can call them the COBOL programmers, the Fortran programmers. Uh, that will resist moving to C++ or you know, what have you. That's not literally what we're doing. But uh, we have found those people resisting digital modernization. Uh, uh, and so that's, that, is a, that is an impediment within government or government-owned uh, entities. Oh, yeah. uh, but inside of, inside of companies, the, uh, the, the issue is 
is is often a, a lack of understanding. You know, the, the really fantastic thing about large language models is uh, uh, e- even people like me can can use them in these silly ways. Uh, and I'm experimenting with them myself for anything useful. Uh, uh, but they're they're fun. They can e- easily enter your, pub- your 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 imagination. You know, what we're talking about for generative AI in business rules is is a much more um, uh, you know I don't want to be too self-important to say it's a more sophisticated concept, but it's you know it's good, it, it, it is so far a little harder to communicate, a little harder for us to grasp. That's our job. That's our job is to get there. But that's that is a hard that is a hard job uh, because it's not it's not just part of the daily discourse, and it's not as we find we have found so far. It's not as easily a part of the daily discourse. Oh, it's more precise, right? Like you, if you if you get the answer wrong on the enterprise side, someone could die. You know, like Quite especially if you're talking healthcare or something like that. Where it's like, yes, ChatGPT, and it gives you a crappy response. No one's going to die. You know, the ramifications are much different uh, at the enterprise level because of what's behind it. Yeah, you know, you have a, a story about that. You know, we work with this this large hospital network in in New York City. Uh, and I had not discovered this to be a problem. And, and you know, even as a, as a former computer science professor, I, you know, it's funny, the, uh, th- there was a joke, you know, my, David Spivak, my co-founder, had said, said once is, you know, how, uh, how long uh, does it take for, uh, you, have a, you have a mathematician, uh, a fire, and a fire extinguisher. How long does it take the mathematician to put out the fire? Uh, uh, and the, math, the answer is forever. The mathematician will never put out the fire because the mathematician will look at the problem and say, well, it's theoretically already out uh, <laughs> because we have a fire extinguisher here. And I think that's that's the experience of, of many in academia. We looked at this infrastructure problem as a computer science professor and said, well, that's already a solved problem. Uh, and we didn't bother with it. It wasn't part of our imagination even. Uh, but in the real world, uh, this problem is... Uh, uh, it permeates every, I kind of struggle with the words because it's struggling with a way to describe that it's part of every large organization uh, consuming billions upon billions of dollars every day, uh, every year, and, and consuming uh, uh, the, the brain space of very talented people every day. Uh, it, it's painful to watch. We just hadn't conceptualized it. So that's, that's the problem. That's the problem is is just uh, getting acquainted uh, with that issue and having people engaged in the conversation that this is now this is today now with the discovery of this 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 branch of mathematics the reemergence of this mathematics and and this practical commercial expression this is now a solvable problem. Love that. So where do you see? And we're just about up on time, so I got one last question for you. Where do you see the future of AI going over the next? 12 months, next two years, and, and what's going to be possible? Yeah, I, I can answer that in a, in a, in a couple of ways. I, I'm usually t- tough. Uh, I find it to be tough to talk about timelines. So I appreciate you having a really short one available for me, <laughs> 12 months or 24 months. Because uh, I remember when I was an early investor, uh, the advice given to me was don't confuse a clear vision with a short time horizon. Uh, I, I always took that to heart. Uh, I think it goes some way towards, or that's the generous explanation of explaining why Elon has, has said that fully driving cars will be here every year for the last 10 years. You know, next, it'll be here next year. It'll be here next year. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, we all will benefit from experimenting ourselves 
with these new uh, uh, large language models. I, I personally just keep a tab open and just play around because I find that my brain has been trained to interact with search engines. And so I will just frame inquiries in my life around a search engine and, and with this new power available, uh, I need to, to reframe how I think about the problems I have in my life to, to interact with uh, these large language models. What's gonna come next, what's already coming next is, is specialized language, large language models. So turning that uh, back on itself uh, uh, to your own data, uh, that's where it's coming. You'll, you'll have that in, in customer support. You'll have that in customer knowledge bases or organizational knowledge bases. Uh, uh, that's that's where, it, where it's going. For Conexus, to expand on that hospital idea, one of our clients has, has in this hospital network, different definitions of diabetes uh, across one hospital network. Because one database could say diabetes, yes, no. Another one is how much. Another one is how long ago. These are different databases in one hospital organization. And they want to have a clinical practice that respects the, the, the patient as an individual and yet also preserves the, the privacy of that patient appropriately. That's a database infrastructure problem. And this is the sort of thing I'm hoping to get resolved soon. I don't know if it's going to happen in the next 12 months or 24 months, but very soon. But I can answer, answer your question about what we can all do about this and the interaction with AI. I think we can, besides experimenting with these large language models, I also think that we can watch for having a, uh, uh, an, an AI be a sort of personal shield around us. I think we're going to have our own AI agents emerging soon that will be able to interact out in the world with our own AI agents to be able to protect us from uh, what will be a, a constant in our world, unfortunately, which is bad actors uh, trying to take advantage of this technology and somehow corrupt uh, uh, our systems in various ways. So I think we will have this emerging ubiquitous collaboration uh, with these, these AI agents acting on our behalf. And what we can do, besides experimenting, besides watching out for that type of implementation, is we can be looking at our jobs and our interaction with others as uh, more precise interactions so that we can ultimately direct machines to be interacting with it. Once we can more quickly define what we want to have happen, we can then have machines read that information uh, and do something with it. Yeah, I think that's a great point because like, as you were talking, one of the things that I found most effective because I've, I've experimented a lot and have made it, like I told you before the show, made it a massive priority to unearth use cases and, and integrate that into my business as fast as possible. Uh, is that if is it's instead of solving for like the transaction, we're now solving for the experience, especially with the plugins that are happening with ChatGPT, and very like looking at it from an outcome perspective, right? So asking for outcomes um, is what I've found to be really effective. So that's been really really eye opening, um, at least for my you know my my worldview, if you will. So. Um, anyways, Eric, it was really a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, love the the depth of, of kind of what you're talking about. You can tell you're a wizard at some of this stuff. And um, where can people find you? Where can they learn more about you and Conexus? Yeah, thanks, Brian. Conexus.com. Uh, and you can just find me uh, on LinkedIn and all the other usual channels. Excellent. Well, thanks for being on the show, Eric. We really appreciate it. It's been a good time, Ryan. Thanks for having me. All right. I will see you all on the next episode. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering 
in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode. 